How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good and welcome to the private zoo. Today we are talking about Bernie. Indeed, we are. Uh, Papa said I'm supposed to say that, so bye. Make you something, make you cry, to make you sleep out to the side. You love Bernie, more like you, standing at my private zoo. So alone and so alive, the world is standing by his side. <laughs> he wrote it down. He should have said, hey, welcome to the show. This is The Private Zoo. And today we're talking about Bernie, Eric. We are talking about Bernie. Bernie. Is, that what, is that what Dave said? Yep, he said, we're talking about Bernie. Uh, that's what we're going to do today, man. You want to you get into it or what do you want to do, man? Or you take it's a, or you want to take a break and drink another beer? It's up to you. <laughs> I'm already working on one, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this, man. Let's let's uh, a little summary here about old Bernie Tito. Did I Tita. say Tita? I always say it wrong. Bernie Tita. Yep. On November 19, 1996, Bernie Tita took a .22 rifle and shot 81-year-old Marjorie Nugent in the back four times. He then prepared the body for burial. Wrapped her in a white sheet and put her body in a freezer, taped the freezer shut, and she would stay in that freezer for nine months. Poor Bernie. <laughs> yeah, poor Bernie. <laughs> poor Bernie. Well, talk, I mean, we know a lot about Bernie. You want to describe Bernie for us? Describe Bernie. Bernie is... I mean, let's very... let's get into the history of him, is what I mean. Yeah, well, you know, like... Uh... You know, he was he was born in like nineteen fifty eight or something, August August second. August second, yeah, yeah. He was born in Tyler, Texas, which is where his father worked. I think in Kilgore is where his father worked. You know, his father, Bern Bernhard, Bernhard, Bernhard <laughs> Bernhard Tita. You burn it uh, hard, burn it hard, man. Burn it hard, Tita. Uh, he was a, a native of Russia, Olganau, Russia. German descent. See, Germans again. Yeah, I was getting ready to say it too. We always go back to the Germans. I don't know how we find this every time we do a story. Every time. Every time it gets tied into Germany somehow. I don't know why that is. We don't look for these things. I know. It's it's really weird. <laughs> so uh, his father, he, he was born in 1912, died in uh, 73. Pretty smart fellow uh, by what it looks like. You know, he was the chairman of fine arts department at Kilgore Junior College. Don't know a whole lot about him. His mother, Leela May Jester, she was born in 33 and passed away in 60. Um, she actually died in a car accident when, when Bernie was two years old. Eventually, his father remarried, and they moved to Abilene, Texas, where his father actually passed away while Bernie was 15 years old. Dude, that's got to be pretty hardcore. I mean, he's already lost his mom at two years old. Now he's lost his... Or excuse yeah. Yeah, yeah, his mom was two. His, when he was two years old, and then when he's 15, he loses his father. Now he's just got this stepmother, and everybody knows stepmothers are horrible. I mean, it's not it's not nothing against it's, stepmothers. It's just that you're, they're not your blood, you know? There's something different there. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You, you, you got a stepmother, right? Mm-hmm. I got a stepfather. It's kind of the same thing, man. You, you, you kind of got to yell at him a lot. You're not my mom. You know? Yeah, that, that that conversation has happened a few times. Yeah, I did that thing too. You're not my dad. Yeah. You're not my dad. You're not my mom. I mean, and, and albeit I love I love my stepmom. It's different. Yeah, it's certainly yeah, different. It's yeah, different. yeah, yeah. Just different. And he um, he probably would have had the same feelings too. You know, now he's alone. And he does. He's he's got a sister, right? Yes, he does have a sister. So his mom's dead. His dad's dead. He's got a stepmom, but I don't know where he's living yeah i mean i i didn't see anything on that um we don't even know his stepmom's name yeah you I, know, so I couldn't it, find it yeah in the articles it would say stuff like well you know bernie got a job to help support himself and his sister yeah uh, and that that's what that's what i was getting at. it makes you wonder was he alone but he did eventually graduate from high school too so right it's, exactly. it's like somebody was there making sure guiding him making sure he was doing the right thing Right, but it doesn't say who it is. I mean, you would assume that he was with his stepmother, but we just we don't know that. Well, well, let's just assume that though. So his stepmother took him and his sister in and kept living with them. 
I think that's exactly. the only way he could do it because he went on to actually do some cool stuff. Tell me about his high school years. High school years. Uh, you know, he, he worked at a he worked at a funeral home. This is when he was 15. This is the job that uh, he got to, to work after school. <laughs> what a great job, right? It's like, you know, hey, but, what are you guys yeah. doing tonight? I got to go embalm some dude. Yeah, you know, uh, but, you know, it, it didn't start off like that. You know, it just, you know, uh, he did the yard work, you know, cut the lawn, made sure the place looked nice and, and presenting. Eventually. Typical 15-year-old uh, kid then. Yeah, they, you know, go cut the lawn, here's 15 bucks, whatever. I'm sure it wasn't that much at that time. But, you know, eventually he started actually helping out with funerals. And because he worked there, some things kind of happened, you know. You know, in high school, you know, he was, he was uh, pretty popular. And he would, you know, basically steal or sneak the hearse from the funeral home. <laughs> Wait, just borrow. Yeah, borrow. Borrow on Fridays. And he would drive, you know, high school kids around Abilene. <laughs> Could you Doing imagine? Because did you do the cruising thing when you were a kid? Like when you oh, had yeah. your license? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody uh, did the cruising thing. What if you were... Like like the Bernie and showed up with a hearse, man, where actual dead people were transported every day. How cool is that, man? I want to ride in a hearse. I would totally be like, dude, let's go. <laughs> I would too. I'd be hanging out in the back. You could probably, dude, you could have such a great big party in the back of that. Man, it's bigger than a limo. Right? Right? Just be hanging out and be like, boom, boom. A couple speakers back there, man. Yeah, a little mattress, uh, you and, know. And back, little... back in our time, Sir Mix-a-Lot, yeah? I like big butts in the camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have been awesome, man. Hey, if the hearse is rocking, don't come a-knocking. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine seeing that, though? That there's like this hearse parked in a, <laughs> I don't know, like a, a parking lot somewhere. It's just, you know, you know, side to side, up and down. Oh, it could only, that would only be funny if it was parked in a handicapped parking spot. Right. <laughs> so this graduates from high school. This is in Abilene, Texas, right? Where we assume that his his stepmother was taking care of him, right? In 1976, 40 years ago. Yep. So he's 17, 18 at this time. I don't know. I didn't do the math. Now he goes on to college. What what happens with him there? Well, uh, he actually got an associate's degree in mortuary science. I guess uh, working at the funeral home, uh, he really started digging it. Well, he could have gone to the landscaping thing. Yeah, he, he could have, but uh, he wanted to do mortuary science. So uh, he actually got a degree from McNessie State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Oh, I and, like crawfish, man. Yeah, yeah. I love crawfish. I love to suck the brains out. Oh, I do too, man. Oh, it's delicious. Um, so in 1985, when I was in the first grade, uh, he came to a town called Carthage and uh, lived in a small apartment right behind the funeral home where he worked as an assistant mortician. You, now, were, wanna... you were in first grade in 85. I was 11 years old. I would have been in fifth grade. Yeah. God, I'm God, old. What are you, 44? <laughs> yeah. I'm 40. 40. Exactly 40. I think I was in the first grade. You're, old. In... You're old, too, though. That's just... Yeah, I'm old. I'm old. God. Don't remind me, man. It, it's horrible. <laughs> so, I, I got gray hairs. My mustache is turning gray. It's like, Jesus, man. I'm going to have to get just for men. <laughs> is that still all right? is that still around? Yeah, that shit's still around, dude. So he, I, don't old. I don't look old. My face doesn't look you, old. You don't look old. You don't look, you're, a, you're, you're a healthy bean. No, I'm fat. <laughs> you're not fat. You're <laughs> You're you're what the uh, kindergarten kids would call husky. Yeah, husky. <laughs> so he he gets his he gets his degree. Now he moves to Carthage, Texas. He gets yes. his job. But he lives in an apartment, and I, I just want to bring this up because it, it, it you're going to hear it again. He lives in an apartment behind the funeral home. An apartment behind. It happens again later. He's always living behind something. Is he doing good at his job? What's what's going on there? He gets there in '85, and then his new guy in town. Yeah, he he's doing great. Uh, a gentleman, uh, the actual his boss, I guess the actual head mortician, uh, head mortician or mortician actual. <laughs> Did you say uh, morticia? Now I'm thinking Adam's family. Yeah, 
Oh, well, you know, it, it could go along the same lines, I guess. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Mr. Lipsy, he, he was actually quoted as saying he was probably the most qualified young man I have ever seen. And to go on with the quote, he waited on the families. He would sing solos behind the screen during the funeral, and he was a darn good embalmer. Uh, he had a talent of making the hair of the deceased look really natural. You know, that sounds so messed up, but I guess in that world, you're trying to do your best. You're trying to, to, to make this dead thing look, look alive. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't scare everybody when you bring this thing out in the casket. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to make sure that the makeup isn't too caked on, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. Uh, now, oh, this is a good part. Now, we haven't talked about this yet because we're talking about the true story currently, but there is a movie that got made about this. Yes, there is. It's actually it's kind of a, a comedy of sorts. It's a dark, but, dark comedy. Right. But it's actual. It, it's, you know, it, it's based on fact. It's, it's starring Jack Black. Yep. Directed by uh what's his name? Richard Linkletter. Yes. Uh who's the who who plays well we haven't talked about her yet, but who plays the other part? Oh, yeah, that kind that kind of sucks, but we'll 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 figure that out later. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll so, figure it out. So now Bernie is working at the funeral home and in nineteen ninety the beginning of the end starts, doesn't it? Yes. He meets Marjorie Nugent. Yes, he does. And the reason he meets her is because her husband dies. Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Thank you very much. Plays Marjorie. That's Marjorie yep. Nugent in the movie, yeah? In the movie. In the movie, yeah. Now, you want to talk about Marjorie or shall I? No, I talked about Bernie. Um, why don't you talk about Marjorie? Okay, so Marjorie, born in 1915. Uh, humble beginnings. You know, her dad ran a grocery store. Just outside of Carthage. There can't be big money there. I mean, it's. She went to Louisiana Tech and then she met her husband there. And he graduated uh, with an electrical engineer. His name was uh, L.R. Rod Nugent. I guess Rod was the little name that everybody called him, nickname. So, smart dude. In a time frame where women stayed at the house, men went working. Yeah. So they got married and uh, he took a job with Magnolia Oil. And that. Oh, that later became mobile, and that that's a big deal. There's big money there in oil, yeah? Oh, especially in that era. You know? Oh, huge, huge deal. They moved around a lot because, you know, jumping around, I guess he was an executive, yeah? He moved from Louisiana to New Mexico, Texas, uh, spent, you know, at least 12 years in Midland. Then They had a kid there, and this will come up later, uh, Rod Jr., and he was raised there and lived there. And then in 1989, at the end of his career, Rod Nugent, or R.L., the husband, uh, he decided to bring his wife back to his wife's hometown of Carthage. Now, this guy must have been doing pretty good. And he's, he's hard to describe because there's not much available about him. Right. You, you just don't find much. Just he was married to this woman. He, but he must have done pretty good. I mean, he's an electrical engineer. He's making big money. Then he moves back to Carthage, his wife's hometown, and he buys the controlling interest in First National Bank. Doesn't sound like retirement to me. It doesn't, but it's kind of like security. This is 1989, so he's like investing his money, right? Right. But then they build a house. They build a 6,000-square-foot stone house. Yeah, stowed. That's wild. Surrounded by a stone wall and electric gates. It's estimated that when he died... He was worth between $5 million and $10 million. That's huge. That's 1990 money, man. So this that's, that's even a lot today. That's even a lot today. Yeah, I would like to have $5 million. This guy, this super rich guy, moves into this little tiny town. Carthage is a funny town, though, right? It is. It's backwoods, America, small town. Everybody knows everybody. But still kind of rich. This is what makes this whole thing interesting. Like, everybody's got money, man, in this town, right? This, right. Let's talk a little bit about that. Carthage was one of the best 100 small towns in America in 1995. It's 20, 30 miles from the Louisiana border. It's in East Texas. Got a population of about 6,500. That was in 1985, yeah? 
there's about 650 people per square mile living in that area, though. The average income is about $37,000. They got two radio stations, one newspaper at that time. Right. Even today, though, in 2010, so six years ago, there's still only 6,780 people living in this town. Mostly white. Mostly white. Um, You know, small. I mean, God, it didn't really grow. It grew, but not much. I mean, this is like grandchildren and... Yeah, 280 people or something like that, yeah. Right, so the people that are there stay there is basically what it's saying. Yeah, there's tons of money there, though. During the 40s and 50s, it was the town of Carthage, Texas, was known as the natural gas capital of the United States. Wow. Oddly enough, that's what's funny about that is that nobody used natural gas. You didn't have it in your cars. Like, now you're going to go to the gas station. And you use gas. Right. You have it pumped directly in your house, you know? Before right. I don't I don't know in, in, in that time frame, the nineties, that was really new. But in the fifties when they were finding that stuff, that was almost like what what did they do with that stuff? Yeah, I mean they, I mean yeah, I mean I, I look back and uh you know, I you know, my grandparents' houses and stuff like that. And there wasn't, you didn't have a natural gas stove. You had an electric stove and your yeah. heater, was, your heater didn't run on gas. It was, a, it was a boiler, Yeah, you know, with radiator heating still. So yeah. it, what was it used for? I don't yeah, know, but I mean, the, the, the town of Carthage made a ton of money. Milita- had to be in the military, man. Had to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been. There, we're going back to the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look that up. Germans and natural gas. <laughs> yeah, look that up, too. Natural gas from the ass. But this was still such a small town, and I'm going to tell you how much of a small town it was, Eric. Okay. The guy who bought K-Gas, K-Gas, K-G-A-S, it's a local radio station. He bought it in 1988. Jerry Hansen's his name. He says this. He says, Carthage is the kind of town where people get out of their cars to see which neighbors they can help whenever there is a traffic jam around the town square. <laughs> traffic jam. Well, let's let's get out of our cars so no cars move. Let's go help each other and and, and take the the stow to like uh, which is stow is traffic jam in German. <laughs> there you go. You see, you're messing yourself all up. You're stuck in Germany already. <laughs> Yeah, I am. Uh, but, you know, let's not move cars. Let's just have a bonanza out here. And yeah. Help. <laughs> See, which, what's wrong with your truck? <laughs> Nothing. The light's red. All right, then. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but they are also conservative, so they're Republicans and socially active people in this small town. I mean, it's Texas, man. The death, the death penalty capital of the world. But that's for a different story. Amen. So, now, Bernie is in this town. 1985 is what we said he came into, into Carthage, right? Yep, 1985, working at the Hawthorne Funeral Home as an assistant mortician. Assistant. Still an assistant, yeah. Yep. He, people really started to love this guy. Although, why? Why did people start liking Bernie? I, you know, he was just a, he, he was a likable guy. You know, he got involved in everything. Even though he was a newcomer, basically an outsider, he got involved with everything. Uh, you know, he taught Sunday schools. Uh, if the minister was sick or on vacation, he would give us a, a sermon. He had a broad knowledge of the acting arts. And so, you know, even... Oh, like, time, like his father. Yeah, exactly like his father, you know. And so, you know, hey... Uh, he would work at Panola College. They would ask him to, you know, hey, do performances on Showboat, uh, a, a, a skit called Showboat and one called Guys and Dolls. Well, Guys and Dolls is actually a good play. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But I do like acting arts. I like to go down to the Hippodrome in the horrible Baltimore area, but the Hippodrome's nice uh, and watch stuff. I don't um, know. Every time, you, every time you say Baltimore, I just want a crab cake. With old pay. Yeah. See, that just makes me mad. So shut up. It's a full pay. He was a member of the Chamber of Commerce and was the head of the Christmas Decorating Committee. 
I mean, this is a town. Was he the head? A, head of? <laughs> I, I just got to laugh when I read this, man. <laughs> so well, maybe he wasn't the head, but he gave a lot of advice about where life <laughs> should be, what light pole the wreath should be on in the town square. Uh, wow. Kind of a waste of time. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, do you really have to have a meeting? I mean, there's what, 6,000, what did we say, 6,500 some people? And there, there's there's a commission that sits down and talks about where to decorate. Right, absolutely. That's just taking it overboard. So I guess I guess when he was, I mean, he he really involved himself. Bernie did in the town. Yeah, and he he was you know I mean with all this stuff that he does, he's he's making contacts, right? Yeah, making contacts. And I'm and assuming because it's an old oil and gas town, there's probably a lot of older people around. That's what I would think. That's what I would think. But small towns gossip anyways, because yeah, everybody knows what the next person's doing. Um, but he was actually described as being peachy and sweet. Odd, though. Yeah, I mean, what kind of man is who? Who would? Say, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm thinking Bernie Fife now. Okay, this is where I'm going with this. Yeah. What, Lloyd's Lloyd's Barbershop is what it was called, right? Where everybody would sit around and talk. In uh, the the uh, with with Andy Griffith, right. I'm assuming this is that kind of small town, probably bigger than that though. So people meet at the barbershop, meet over coffee or whatever the local diner, and talk about this new local mortician. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Say maybe he's a little little uh, little light little uh, little light, light in the loafers. Light in the loafers. Yeah, um, I was looking for the words. Yeah, according uh, according to Lipsy, uh, who is the 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 head mortician at uh, the funeral home, uh, you know he, he says you know he wasn't a bad looking guy. He was rather attractive, and uh, there were a lot of ladies that would have loved to date Bernie, but he just never showed any kind of romantic interest in anyone. Does that play a part <laughs> in his say, in him killing Marjorie? Maybe because you know he says no romantic interest in women his age at all. Maybe it plays a part in him taking care of Marjorie if he was gay. Let's just say he is gay. In the movie of Bernie, it seems like he's gay. Right. Jack Black plays that role pretty good, and you can actually go on YouTube and see Jack Black talking to the actual Bernie and and but, working it out. But I uh, see it, the the person. This is where I get conflicted, and maybe it's part of a con or something else, which we'll go into later as we, we talk about this. But the the character that he plays in the movie, being you know he plays Bernie, is very flamboyant, um, and you get the sense that you know, yeah, he's gay. But then when you see all these uh, YouTube videos and interviews with Bernie. I don't get that same sense. I I, I kind of do. But not to the extent that it was played in the show. In the show, it was like over the top. Like, dude, this guy's... Well, there's something that comes out with videos later. There is. Yeah, so maybe that's why the gay thing gets played up. But I only bring that up now because we're getting into how Marjorie and Bernie became friends. And I'm wondering if maybe we should just get into how they met. But let the question linger is, if Bernie was gay, did that make Marjorie feel safer with him? Let that linger. And then let's get into how they met. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do Marjorie's husband dies. He had a, uh, what was it? Heart attack? What do you have? Heart failure. Heart failure. So heart attack, something happened. And that was in March of 1990. I'm just guessing, town of 6,500, uh, one, two funeral homes, probably just the one. So he goes to Hartridge. Bernie's working there, and he meets Marjorie because Marjorie is burying her husband. Yeah? Right. So during the funeral, it's reported when, when Rod Nugent is being loaded in the ground or he's... Bernie actually gives Marjorie his coat 
But he did this to all of them. He did this to all. Yeah. To Everybody. Complete. Yeah. Because it's sweet. You consoling. Hey, you know, what a horrible time. You have no one now. Your family's not here. I'm going to be sincere and courteous because I love everybody and I'm going to help you and console you. Yeah. I mean, he was that guy. He would take care of the widows, I guess is how you would say it, of Carthage. But Marjorie, we, we talked a little bit about her, where she was born, where she's from, but she is not described as the nicest person in Carthage. Yeah, kind of nose up, and if it could go any higher, she'd drown. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's an actual quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She is an ill-tempered woman, according to everybody except, like, one granddaughter that I've read. Right. Uh, she's got a sister that lives in town, doesn't talk to her, got another in Ohio. Doesn't talk to her. Has a son, rarely talks to him. Uh, she's not active in the community whatsoever. I would assume that Bernie kind of knows of her because of her stature. She's... Well, yeah, I believe uh, after her husband died, she actually kept running the bank. Yeah. She became head of it and was just a stickler. I mean, they had the controlling interest in the bank. You know, Rod had bought that before, yeah? Right, exactly. So, I mean, he was rich. He was worth somewhere between 5 and $10 million, depending on what article you read. Now, right. Now Rod dies, and Marjorie... Nugent become she gets this money, and as we learn later, she's still earning on just royalties somewhere between two and four hundred thousand dollars a year, just on royalties. Yeah, I mean, not working, eighty-one years old or eighty, seventy-nine, whatever she was at that time, and just banking. I mean, this is a rich woman, extremely. But like you said, we can't assume at this point. Something's going to come later, but we can't assume that Bernie's just going towards her for whatever reason. This is something he did with every woman. As we talked about before, Marjorie, she didn't talk to her sister. She her she doesn't talk to her son. Now she's got this new guy, Bernie, lending her his coat because she's cold. You know, she's got no friends. The whole town talks bad about her, like she's just some evil witch. Now, Bernie's the kind of guy, like we were just talking about, who would take care of anybody. Uh, Gracie Duke. Gracie Duke. What happened there? Well, she was a widow of a mechanic. Of course, Bernie was there at the burial. At some point, you know, like he took care of her, consoled her, and, you know, would just go and check on her, you know, bring her stuff and, you know, whatever. You know, she wasn't rich. She was she was the wife of a mechanic. And uh, at one point, she complained about her bones hurting. Her bones. I got that problem, too. Right. So Bernie takes her to Hot Springs so she could sit in the baths. Down in Arkansas. Not a rich woman. Not a rich woman at all. But he just felt compelled to help this lady. So his sister at one time said that's why he became a mortician, just to help people, you know, at their their worst time. So maybe right. maybe that's why. But then he hooks up with Marjorie. This is where things start getting weird a little bit, right? So right. he's not making a ton of money. She's super rich. But... He does it for everybody. I mean, I, I see where you're going, Steve, with this. She's super rich. We know that Bernie eventually kills her, and he gets prosecuted by district attorney Danny Buck. Danny Buck is played in the movie by Matthew McConaughey. He does not look anything like Matthew I, McConaughey. No, not at all. <laughs> he's uh, He's got no chin. He's. I think you're, you're a typical Texan... Pork and beans. And he, what he says about Marjorie is that uh, he, he doesn't know if she had any friends whatsoever. And Bernie was the only one that even liked her. Is it because he's so outgoing? Or is it because he sees a rich woman? Now, this is where we start getting into the thing, yeah? But yeah, it, it, it's so convoluted. I mean, they... So now Bernie starts hanging out with Marjorie after the funeral. Gives him yep. doing what he always does with the widows. Yeah. Now she takes it a step farther, though. At this point, she actually gives Bernie her dead husband's watch. Absolutely. Not a Timex. Not a. Not a. Not a. Just some digital crap that we used to buy in the army, but a Rolex. It's worth about twelve grand. 
Right. And, and, and this lady, uh, you know, argued with a vet over a $45 bill. And so here she is giving her dead husband's $12,000 Rolex to this sweet guy that's helping her out. But yet she argues with a veterinarian over a $45 bill until he reduces the price. Isn't that ridiculous? Now Bernie and Marjorie are starting to hang out all the time. And then by 1991, Bernie's in like Flynn. Absolutely. Marjorie actually calls the First National Bank, which she has the controlling interest in, because her husband bought that, and says that any checks written from her account signed by Bernie should be used. The point was that Bernie would be her accountant? Yeah, her her uh, concierge. Yeah. So he, he, he's starting to take care of not only her, I wouldn't say physical being, because he's just hanging out with her, just making her smile at this point. But now she gives him the ability to write checks on her behalf, which he should be paying her bills for. I don't know. I'm doubting she had a mortgage, but I'm, maybe she's doing stock market stuff or whatever she's doing. Right. You know, and he should be able to do that and write the checks. So Bernie's like her uh, personal assistant, I guess is what it is. We we learned about Bernie. This guy is a hoarder. He's a bioholic. Yeah, but he's like a hoarder that gives his hoarding away. Right. So what? Tell me about that. Other than you know being a helpful person around town, he he would just buy things. You know, he would go to a store and say, "I want five of these," and he'd give them all away. And now you got to think, he only made approximately $18,000 $18, a year working at the funeral home. He was behind on his credit cards. He owed the IRS about $4,000. But he would still take his own money, buy stuff in multiples, and then just give it away to people. Now we don't know because he's living behind the, the, the um, funeral home. We don't know if he's paying rent or not. Right. So if, if he's rent-free, making eighteen grand. You got water and power. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, but you're but he's still behind in his credit cards and he owes the IRS four thousand dollars. That's what I'm saying. It's like he's a weird kind of hoarder. He doesn't hoard his stuff. He just ho- he buys and buys right. buy a holic is what you said. That's the best word yeah. for it. He's a QVC shopper in the modern day. And <laughs> yeah. Tag and gives it away. Yeah, QVC is I don't know, I never you ever buy anything from there? No. <laughs> I never. I, I I have met some people that do, and oh my god! <laughs> this is where things really start turning. 1993, Bernie goes to his boss at the funeral home, Don Lipsy, the same guy who said he could make a dead person's hair look beautiful, and he tells him that Marjorie Nugent hired him to be his business manager and to travel with her around the world. What are we three years into there? There, yep. yeah, yeah. I think it started in ninety, so we're about we're about two and a half, three years in. Now he must have been hanging around a lot and hanging, taking care of her and doing whatever she wanted, because Marjorie at this time actually changes her will. Right. She changes her will to leave all her assets, all her money, all everything to Bernie. Bernie in the movie too. Bernie calls the stockbroker, or Jack Black calls the stockbroker and says, hey, we need to do whatever. And he's like, who the hell are you? You're not even Marjorie. And that is actually a true thing that happened. The real Bernie called the stockbroker, and the stockbroker said, what are you? You're just an undertaker. Yeah, what do you know? Yeah, you don't know nothing. And then Marjorie calls him right back and says, look, if you if you ever talk to Bernie like that again, I'll take my, my business elsewhere. So she's invested for whatever reason in this. But Bernie goes to his boss, Don Lipsy, at the funeral home and says, look, look, I got hired by her. I'm going to take the job. I'm making more money. Don't know what that means. Personally, I don't. I, I can't say. But he's going to take the job. He's going to be her business manager, personal assistant, and travel with her around the world. Don tells him, whatever you think you're going to get out of her, you're going to have to earn every penny. And and it appears that way as we go on. My God, Eric, you 
you're reading this too, right? He would have to drive to her house every morning to make her coffee. Right. And then he'd have to be there again by 1145 every day for lunch and to have all her medicines laid out. If he went to visit someone, actually quoted as saying, if I don't call her, she will give me living hell. Right. So not not painting a very good picture for Marjorie here. She seems very, very controlling. And that's... That we had to play that up a little bit because that's going to come later. I mean, there's always this little twist in these stories, right? Right. Let's fast forward about two years. Now we're in 1995. Marjorie is doing some weird stuff. As portrayed in the movie, she fires the gardener. It's not uh, really... It's. I mean, in the movie, it's okay. It's nice. It flows. But the reason she fired the gardener was because her flowers didn't bloom in time. Yeah. Crazy. I think also maybe in the movie, and I don't know if there's any uh, uh, actual written evidence, but there was a, a an African-American gentleman who was also a gardener who got fired because she thought he was stealing the lawnmower yeah. while he was actually taking, taking it to get fixed. To get work. I think the real reason was that because the flowers didn't bloom. And that plays... Either way, either in the movie or what I'm saying is it plays into her possible losing it. Either losing it or she's one of those people that are so well-to-do that if something doesn't happen according to their standards or specifications, which I have seen, they get rid of it. Like, you're the problem. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. and But then more things start happening, right? Also in this time, she makes Bernie buy a twenty-two rifle. Right. This will, in fact, be the rifle that he shoots her with four times in the back. The reason she makes him buy the rifle is to kill armadillos that are messing up her garden. So what's going on there? I mean, she's really just driving him, making him do all this stuff at this point, right? His actual quote, according to his sister, is... She's so controlling, it just wears me down. She asked him, why didn't... Why, uh, yeah, why don't you quit? What's what's he say? I couldn't do it. I'm her only friend. Yeah, so, I mean, th- this is a really good guy. The town loves what? him. He's out there socially. But at the same time, he's being rewarded for all this pain and suffering that he has to go through. This is what is portrayed in the movie and portrayed in anything you read about him is that he's he's got to lay out the medicine. He's got to come make sure he's there at 11.45 every day. He's got to call. He's got to do all this crap, come call for, uh, make coffee. But, dude, this guy's going around the world. He he goes with her to the Orient, to Egypt, to Russia. They they uh, they even flew to New York one time and, and watched a play. And then they sailed on the Queen Mary to Europe, and they came back on the Concorde. He he got to buy a two bedroom house, and then he even took her spot on the board of directors on the First National Bank. In right, I believe I believe didn't he also um, get his pilot license and buy two airplanes? Yeah, yeah. This guy is making bank, but at the same time he's complaining about how mean she is. Yeah, I mean it, it happens though. I mean, I make great money. You know, I have my own house. And I have the things that I want. Um, I'm not going to get into the things that I want, but I have them. But now he's got all this money that's right in front of his face, man. He's got complete control of her bank account. He's already right. he's already traveling around the world, which anybody should be so grateful for. But is he enjoying it? That's a, you know that's as, a, as controlling as as Marjorie appears to be while he's out on these these trips or whatever, you know, is it the same routine? You got to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. If I had to do all the crap that I didn't want to do, who gives a shit if I'm in Cairo or yeah. where? Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with it. So he, he could go anywhere he wants, Russia, Paris, New York, but he still has her in the background. According to in almost anything you read, Eric, this is a controlling woman, right? But now he's got money behind him. Never had money in his life. Small town kid. I mean, what was his dad? It's all left to him. Yeah, it was. We already said that. His 
she rewrote the will that all that five to ten million dollars, whatever that was, would go to him. It she's not dead yet. But he does have the right to sign checks. So he's not feeling good. He's already told his sister, I can't take her, she's controlling. But he has all this money in front of him, right? So what does he do? He starts Oh yeah, he writes checks. He starts buying oh, crap. Does. Yeah. He starts buying all sorts of crap, man. He bought 10 cars for people. 10 cars. He gave scholarships to students. And I think somebody wanted to start a, a, a clothing business, so he printed them the money. Yeah. He bought a house for someone. And a garden set, uh, like, a, like a play set for the children. Bernie heard that a trophy store was going under, and he went and bought all the trophies from this store to give to the high school students, man. What a great guy. Yeah, the town is starting to love him even more, man. I mean, he's already socially out there. Now he's just giving him money all the time, right? But Whose money is it? Yeah, it's Marjorie's money, right? Right. This guy would lie. He actually presented her a deposit slip one time. $20,251 is what it says in her account. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. I'm assuming that's a little play account yeah when you think twenty thousand dollars that's nice to have but if you're if you're worth five or ten million that's that's whatever it is now he doctored these deposit slips what she actually had in the account is uh, six thousand eight hundred or something but he wrote it up as you know almost twenty three thousand so he's already lying to her and this is early on so steve let's let's actually talk about the murder of marjorie let's do that um, man yeah, dude. Uh, it happened uh, November 19th of 1996. According to Bernie, he was just tired of being told what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. But what's ironic about it, if we jump back, that armadillo rifle comes into play. He had found it in the house at some point in time, decided, you know what, I'm going to put this in the garage. One day they were leaving to go somewhere. She was ragging on him about something, and he just says, you know, I lost it. And he picked up the rifle. He shot her four times with twenty-two caliber in the back, and she was dead. He is a mortician. So after he shoots her, you know, he covers her up with some white sheets, makes sure that nothing's wrong with her other than the holes that he put up her, puts her in there, into the freezer, right outside the, the door that, from the garage that goes, goes into the kitchen, and put some food on top of her to kind of hide her. But uh, he also tapes it shut. He tapes the freezer shut. You know, it, Marjorie was known as a homebody. She didn't go out. She didn't associate with people. She stayed at home or she went on trips with Bernie um, across the world. Uh, so on Thanksgiving, Bernie actually goes to visit his sister. And this is kind of where the life starts. Knowing that she's a homebody, he goes on to say, well, you know... Uh, she went to Ohio to spend time with one of her sisters. To your hometown. To my home, to my home <laughs> state of Ohio. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes on from there. So this is Thanksgiving. During Christmas time, the house was decorated. People were asking where Marjorie was, and he stuck with the story. You know, he's like, oh, well, she's still in Ohio visiting for the holidays. Hanging out with your dad. Hanging out with my dad. Hanging out with the Amish down in Adams County and the Rodent family. Yeah. And we'll talk about the Rodin family on another date. Winter goes by, spring comes around, and he starts telling people that, you know, well, you know, Marjorie's in bed because of an illness and not accepting visitors. She got a cold. Nobody, she got a cold. Yeah, but nobody really cares because nobody really likes Marjorie. So they're like, whatever. Finally, towards the end of spring, beginning of summer, so we're into 97 now. So from November 19th to. May, June of 97. Now he starts saying that, uh, well, she's in a nursing home because she had a stroke. Ah, so the lies are changing. The lies are changing. What's crazy about all this, during this time, uh, the maid kept coming, cleaned up the house, took care of it. Gardeners were there. The gardeners were there. So the, the flowers are blooming on time. Flowers are blooming on time. There must be no armadillos. Everything's going great. Everything looks normal. Finally, in July of 97, someone calls. We don't know who their name is, but they call the police saying, you know, geez, uh, we haven't seen Marjorie in forever. So the police note it down, and they're like, well, you know, it, well, it's Marjorie. It's been about nine months. Nobody's seen her. Who yeah, cares? So 
So it wasn't till the next month, August, that they actually got to looking into it. You know, they went to the house, couldn't get in. So they're like, well, you know, that's kind of kind of weird. Where is she? Why aren't they? Why isn't she answering the door? So it, it appears that uh, the police somehow got a hold of her son, and, her son's oldest daughter. So her grandchild, which, which she didn't talk to any of them. No, I think it's I think at some point the the grandkids even sued Marjorie for something and it ended up failing. Um, yeah, there's something. But there. I, don't, I don't have all that. Yeah, I don't have a lot about it, but it, it attests to Marjorie being this hateful, vindictive person. But they got into the house. Uh, you know, the son showed up and his oldest daughter, the grandchild, they showed up. They're searching it. There's no signs of Marjorie. Everything's in place. Nothing looks like foul play. And they step into the garage. The granddaughter, you know, looks over, sees this freezer next to the, the door leading into the kitchen and goes, why, why is the freezer tape shut? Why, why would that be? That's where the food is. Why would you take the shut? Uh, so the police, of course, go to look and they open it up. They see corn, you know, food, food that you would put in a freezer on top. And as they start moving around, they find Marjorie. In the freezer. In the freezer. Stuck there for the last nine months, like we started with the top of the show. Absolutely. Nine months in a freezer. So now the cops... They don't want to destroy evidence. They take the entire freezer to the coroner's office. To the coroner's office. They actually had to hook it up to a gas-powered generator to keep it running so that nothing would be damaged and drive them all the way to Dallas. They're going to go to the husband, to the boyfriend, to whatever, like cops do. Well, there's only one person. Yeah. Because she was hated. Only one person liked her. And so what do you start with? Well, you start with him. So the first thing they say is, where the hell is Bernie? Bernie's in uh, Venezuela. No, he's not. He's in town. (laughs) What's he doing? Well, he's taking uh, some kids of the Little League baseball team to dinner. Where they find him. (laughs) Nice guy. Like always. Yeah, nice guy. Getting ready to take him out to dinner. And then they do what? They say, uh, they arrest him, they bring him in, they charge him. Throw him in jail. And he, he admits. He's like, they're like, what happened? He's like, well, I killed her. They're like, well, what? Why would you do such a thing? He's like, well, she was just very hateful and possessive, and I couldn't hold back. I just, I snapped, and I picked it up, and I shot her. Well, that's the end of that, then. Great story, Eric. We just end the, we end yeah. the story now. The, the guy killed this woman, admits to it, goes to jail. That's it. I don't think so. <laughs> what do you mean you don't think so? The guy admitted to killing someone. That's the end of the story. It, it, n- not really. He got put on bond, you know, obviously, because there's a trial pending. It was a $1.5 million well, bond. Well, you're not guilty until you're guilty. Yeah, yeah, innocent until proven guilty. You know what? A, a bunch of women in town started raising money for his bond. For $1.5 million? For $1.5 million. They just started taking money and saying, look, we need to get him out of jail. You know, Danny Buck says no way and charges him with that to Marjorie's money after her death. But he gets the bond raised to $2.7 million. Uh, Danny Buck, the DA. The people of Carthage stay on Bernie's side. And even the reverend, the reverend of the church, would pray for him every Sunday. You know, I read something that Danny Buck stopped going to church because the reverend would openly pray for, for Bernie every day. Right, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Crazy. He doesn't get bond. He doesn't get it's bond. It's 2.7 he, it, million, man. What do you got to have? 10% or something? Something like that. I The whole town still stays behind him the whole time. But then something else happens, right? The IRS comes to town. The IRS comes to town. We already know he's he's missing credit card payments. He's He's probably not making his tax payments either. Exactly. So the IRS comes to town, and they pretty much find out that uh, he has laundered or took, embezzled, more than a million dollars of Marjorie's money at the time of his arrest. Bernie ends up going to court. Jury deliberates for less than an hour and convicts Bernie of murdering Marjorie, and he was sentenced to life in prison. But what's funny about that is they had to move the trial from one town to another town where he wasn't known. Yeah, because everybody loved him, right? 
Everybody loved That's him. That's what Matthew People, McConaughey said. You know, and, and he hated him. Uh, Matthew McConaughey played uh, Danny Buck Davidson. And, you know, oh, Jesus. He was like, uh, he's a liar, a coward, and a backshooter. But the town still loved him, no matter what. They were like, they, they were even quoted to telling uh, Buck Davidson, you're not going to find a jury in this town that will put that man away. Yeah, that's amazing, right? 6,500 people. All you need is 12. And there, yeah, and you're not going to find anyone that will convict him, that will think one bad thing, something else must have been going on, because Bernie's this great guy. But he did get convicted. But he did, he did after uh, Mr. Davidson finally got the trial moved to another town where Bernie was not known. So now that's the end of that. No, it's not. <laughs> See, this is where it keeps going. He killed this woman, admitted to the police he killed this woman, yep. stole her money. Yep. But now, enter stage right, Richard Linkletter. Who decides he wants to make a movie about yeah. this. Obviously, kind of low budget, but, uh, you know, some prominent actors. It's a good, Matthew. I like the movie. I, you don't like the movie. I didn't like the comical sense of it. it I thought it would have been better as a documentary portraying people as the way that the people were. You know, you're right. Um, that that would have been good. But it was kind of both. It was like a dark comedy. You know, so the people got portrayed as buck tooth, tooth falling out redneck. And I don't think we would have seen that in the town of Carthage, considering how prominent and rich it was at one. So, but at the same time, there were actual Carthage residents talking in the movie, according to the movie. According. I, I don't know if that's true or not. It's like Fargo. So this movie gets made, you know, talking about the whole situation. And after the movie, some defense lawyer, Jody yeah. Cole, she went to Link Linklater and was like, you know, uh, I want to see the, tr- you know, the record of the first trial, all the documents and everything. And she read it. And at some point she goes to Linkart. Well, you know, I want to I want to talk to T. So Linklater calls T and says, hey, this defense attorney. And he agrees to meet her. During this meeting, he discloses something that no other person ever disclosed and no one knew about, that he was molested by his uncle. When he was what? Young. Multiple 15, times. 14, Young. 13, 12. And also by this time, the movie's been made. Jack Black has actually interviewed and sat down with him. You can find that on YouTube. Richard Linkletter has a, a relationship with him. Now this thing is blowing up because it's a film about. I mean, could you imagine a film about your life? It'd be weird. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be pretty gnarly. It'd be like you petting your cats a lot. Really, tell the truth. It's not unlike Manson, Dahmer, whatever. Movies been made about him, man. People are interested, but the town still loves him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely loves him. And so, anyways, uh, Jody Cole. She reads this stuff and, you know, discovers this of sexual abuse and whatever and uh, goes to a psychiatrist, uh, Mr. Peiskoff, and asks for him to interview T. And what they say is, well, you know, he had this kind of, you know, all he dealt with all this abusiveness. And Marjorie basically repeated that controlling dominant thing. And somehow it. it, it made him psychologically compromised and he had this experience where he just reacted and didn't know what he was doing. He just wanted to. Uh, so what you're saying is he relived the manipulation of being molested as a child. Basically. And he wanted to stop it. All right. I call BS on that because in his written confession, he said he took the gun from one room to another and set it in the garage. Now 2014. So all this stuff comes up. Miss Cole takes it to Buck, the original TA, and says, hey, did you know about this? So he's like, no, I, I, I didn't. I'm going to have this reviewed. So he has another psychiatrist, his own, and it's the same guy that had interviewed Teed. Now this guy's saying the same thing. So now you got a person on the defense and the prosecution saying, wow. And Buck 
even at this time, like after he learns all this information, hears from one psychiatrist and another, makes an amendment and says, if I would have known this, I wouldn't have gone for life. I would have gone for 20 years. Boy, he could have been out already. Could have been out already. So in light of this new material, Mr. Bernie Tito, murderer, child, poor, hopeless, old lady in the back. And admitted to it. And admitted to it is released. He's no longer in jail. On $10,000 bond, too. Before, it was $1.5, upgraded to $2.7 Now it's down to $10,000. Ten thousand. That means you need one. You need what is it? Ten percent or something you need for your bond. Yeah. So, so he paid a grand and got out of jail. Now he goes back into the funeral business. No, that's not true. He no, actually no, goes he... and lives with Mister Richard Linklater, the director of the movie. Right in an apartment behind behind. That's how he started it. He got the job behind the funeral home. Now he's living behind the funeral director. He spent his life dealing with dead people, living behind a funeral home. Now he kills someone, gets out of jail, and is now hoping to have a better life living behind the guy who told the story about how he killed a woman. But here's what's crazy. While he's out for these two years waiting for basically a retrial, he makes friends. People love him. He even would watch Linkletter's children with nobody else around. Linkletter's like, why, why would I not let him? I mean, he's a great guy. Nothing bad admitted happens. Admitted murderer. He admitted to this. It's in his statement. Yeah. It's like, I just, I don't know what happened. I picked her up. I shot her. I killed her. And then I prepared her for a burial. And he was even quoted as saying, you know, why'd you leave her in a freezer? He's like, I was waiting for a time where I could give her the burial she deserved. So he gets out in 2014. Yep. Lives life. Lives life. Has fundraisers. There's no way the state of Texas is going to say, you know what? He won. We lost. This is a George W. Bush state. (laughs) Yeah. What happens? Well, they go back to trial. They bring up all the evidence. But there's some interesting things. Sorry, he got molested. As a child, therefore, he has the right to kill a woman. That's their defense, right? Basically. Okay. Then what happens? Well, some videos were found. Oh, you're going from the original trial, yeah? This is what's interesting, too, because I read that there was a lot of videos found, a lot of VHS tapes, if you know what those are. And the police looked at the VHS tapes and said, if you don't admit to killing Marjorie, we're going to release the information that you have the these VHS tapes. Talk of prominent people. Of Carthage. Of Carthage. Being on these videotapes with Bernie doing sexual acts. Sexually lewd acts, and they were males. Man on man, yeah. So there are some people that say that Bernie said, yes, I killed Marjorie, to keep those videotapes from coming out. Exactly. And it all goes back to the profile of him being molested. He didn't know anything else. So he he should just admit that, uh, you know, sex is wrong with men and go to jail for the rest of his life because that's what he's being told. Pretty much. Crap. So anyways, we get back into it. He's in court. He's in court Again, for and, the same murder. And uh, it was in April of 2016. A new jury heard the facts. And well, the outcome was that he was sentenced to life in prison again. Again. So he's guilty. He admitted to it. But at the same time, you know, there's no DNA here. We don't have a rape case. We don't have things like that. What we find often is 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later, is that there's some, there's some physical evidence. In this case, there is none. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's a statement he wrote. He said, yes, I killed her. Yes, I did this. Other than that, there's nothing. Nothing at all. What I find interesting is with the, with the DA, Mr. Buck Davidson, is how he was hard to kill. This man's a murderer. Evil. Evil. And we don't give shooters back. We kill them. Yeah, and then... He changes it, and he's like, in light of this, 
If I would have known about it, I would have looked at it differently. The question is, where does the human psyche go into murder? And that's why we have murder in the first, murder in the second, and manslaughter. Yeah. I think you I know, think by his by Barney's statement, moving the gun from one place to another, that's first degree. That's planning. It, but going into that, and I understand what you're saying. You know, I took a gun, I moved it from here to here. Knowing you're gonna shoot someone. But did he know at that time? Did he know? Did he know? Or was it for ease of access? Well, I think I, I mean, think uh, knowing or, or pretending to know what Marjorie in the articles we read, how controlling she was. I don't know if she was. That's why I'm very apprehensive to say she was controlling. Well, I think it is. I mean, we have multiple statements from yeah. multiple people say that. Yeah, this is her. So assuming she's a very controlling woman, she tells him, show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, make me coffee. At 10 o'clock, we're going to get in the car and we're going to drive over here and we're going to go shopping. If if the controlling statement is a true fact, him moving the gun from one place to another is first-degree murder. It's him planning mm-hmm. the murder because but he if, knows the time if, schedule. He does, but if he doesn't realize what he's doing then it's not it's not premeditated that's that's fine at the at the actual time of the shooting i get what you're saying the actual time of the shooting him picking up the gun and doing the shooting the problem is the moving from one room to another of the weapon but what was the time span in between that from the time that he moved it to the time that he shot what's a uh, minutes i guess i don't know maybe an hour there is a knowledge base there and I would invite anybody who's listening to this to go against what I'm saying. But I think that once you move the weapon from one room to another with the knowledge that you will be in that room later and have the opportunity to murder someone, I think that's a problem. Okay, but let's look at this. So if the gun was in the house, he would still have the same opportunity. That's true. He knew the gun was in the house. He's the only one there because he's the only one that she let it in. So why, why you're, you're, you're mean, uh, why wouldn't he shoot her in the kitchen? Why wouldn't he yeah. shoot her in the bedroom? Exactly. I read a lot of stories. <laughs> so now I'm going to go into flooring. Is it wood flooring? Is it carpet? Is it what, what's on the floor? What's on the walls? We don't yeah, know. If I shoot you in your kitchen, do you have linoleum? Is that something I can easily clean up? Or do you have wood that would, so, like real wood, not laminate? That would soak it yeah. up. And where a police could come later. Is this a thought out uh, process? Or if I shoot you in the garage on a concrete floor uh, 99% of the time, I can throw down some bleach. I can clean that up easily, put you in the freezer. We're done. I think this was, a, I personally think this is a well planned out thing. He had the money coming to him. The will was written out. He was going to get the money, the 5 to $10 million. Uh, he couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. He wanted more. He wanted to buy his crap. He wanted to impress the town. He felt like he was a nobody. He was gay. He was having a problem with being gay, which nobody should if you're gay or gay. That just is what it is. Just I just don't know, though. I mean, especially when once you throw in the factor that he was abused. I don't know if I agree uh, with that, though. But, I mean, how do you prove that it's not true? I don't think you can. But what I find interesting, and we didn't talk about this uh, a whole lot, but to this day, while he's in incarceration, he still does friendly gestures towards people in town. If he hears that someone passed away, he'll knit. He'll he'll knit uh, some kind of keepsake. To send yeah, to them. I've heard that too, yeah. So, dude, if I was a murderer and I'm in jail, I'm not going to get out. Why would I keep doing these things? If I was not a genu- genuinely good person and I was just playing a story, why would I keep on with it? Ed? Let's throw some thank yous out there, huh? How do we start here? Vanessa. Oh, Vanessa. Vanessa, just for driving both of us crazy, huh? Uh, Tommy Bishy. Dave! Dave, Dave. Oh, God, Dave. Where are you, Dave? Tom Slam. Tom Slam. Still soon. I tell you what, 
going to take a while. We're just going to have a new CD coming out. And Eric, you know what? I know what you're going to say. You're going to be waiting on that one, too. <laughs> Eric, as always. I love you, brother. I love you, too, man. And by the way, thank you. No, thank me. No, 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 no. I just did. Thank That's you. What I said. Thank you. Yeah, I did. I did. But now you need to thank me for thanking you. For thanking I already me. thought. I already what? thought about thanking you. Let's see you next time.